You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at Osea. Malibu.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show where we demonstrate that everything, simply everything, has its own history, like snakes, fire and invisibility. And we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew that the history of shrinking is in fact all about Roman feasts and showing off, or that the history of doors is all about Viking funerals? Well, the man sitting opposite me who will help pilot us through this wonderful historical world is one of the country's leading professors of history. It's James Daybell. Hello, James. Hello, Sam. And the man sitting opposite me is the famous historical adventurer, Dr Sam Willis. Hello, Sam. Hello, everyone. Now, this is another episode of our special series of homeschooling for kids. Each episode, we're going to take a subject that I bet you don't think has a history. And we're going to prove that it does. And today, I'm so excited about this. It's one of a topic I'm absolutely fascinated in. Because when the lights go out, everything goes dark. We're doing the history of darkness. The history of darkness is fascinating. And it has a really interesting history across time. We could start with the period known as the Dark Ages. Now, this is a period of history in the medieval period referred to as the Middle Ages, which is roughly 1000 to 1300. And basically, historians in the past have seen that after the decline of the Roman Empire, everything deteriorated. But in actual fact, this was the exact opposite of the Dark Ages. It was, in fact, a period of remarkable energy in terms of religion, we see the kinds of country formations that we have nowadays in Europe emerging. And also, it's a period when we see a really vibrant high culture. So the arts and painting and architecture, there's tons going on. So it's not actually dark. No, we could do the history of people working in the dark as well, like coal miners or or uh, people, chimney sweeps working up dark chimneys, couldn't we? Oh, that's great. Or we could think about the winter of discontent and darkness. So this was a period in Britain in the 1970s where there were widespread strikes by the public sector trades union demanding much greater pay rises than the government was actually trying to allow them. And so what happens is a whole range of people go on strike. Grave diggers go on strike, so people weren't being buried. 
refuse collectors go on strike and rubbish wasn't collected and just piled up in the streets. And also, this is a period when there are wide-scale power cuts and also blackouts, when the lights just didn't turn on. So the whole country was in darkness. Mm, amazing. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about darkness, but in particular link to the Second World War, because we're going to be talking about the blackout during the Blitz. The Blitz happened from September 1940, when the German Air Force began an unprecedented wave of bombings on British cities. It was absolutely terrifying. Cities throughout the UK were absolutely hammered, but primarily London, although Bristol, Liverpool, Birmingham, Glasgow, Coventry, all important industrial centres were also bombed very badly by the German Air Force. And one of the things the British did to defend themselves against these aerial attacks was to adopt something called the blackout. And that meant that every light, imagine this, all of the lights in every house, office, block, school, factory, shipyard, every car had to be turned off at night. Or it could be turned on as long as it was hidden behind heavy blackout curtains, which wouldn't let any light at all escaping. That's an absolutely fascinating period because people suddenly had to learn to live in the dark. You think about going up into the town or the city now of an evening, even in the middle of the winter. It's all lit up by lights from shots, by street lamps. But imagine it being pitch black. Here's a wonderful quote from someone called Mia Allen, who was a journalist writing about the world that she was seeing in the Second World War. And she wrote this when the blackout was first initiated, it was first enforced. She's in London. I stood on the footway of Hungerford Bridge across the Thames, watching the lights of London go out. The whole great town was lit up like a fairyland in a dazzle that reached into the sky. And then, one by one, as a switch was pulled, each area went dark, the dazzle becoming a patchwork of lights being snuffed out here and there until a last one remained, and it too went out. What was left was more than just wartime blackout. It was a fearful portent of what war was to be. We had not thought that we would have to fight in darkness or that light would be our enemy. It's such a powerful paragraph there and it shows just how profoundly impactful the war was, even for the people living at home. So not just for the soldiers who were fighting in tanks and with their rifles and not just for the sailors who were at sea or the airmen up in the sky, but for the people who were living in the cities, living in the towns and villages of England and Wales and Scotland and Ireland who were bombed. Now, I'm going to tell you about another feature of the Blitz, and this is about air raid shelters. So the kind of protective devices, contraptions that were built in order to protect people from these German bombs falling on the country. Now, many of the attempts, the attempt, now many of the attempts to provide shelter in Britain during this period were improvised. They were made up and people just used furniture that was found in the home during these air raids. There are records of people hiding under the kitchen table. Uh, a man called David Smith, who's an 88-year-old retired schoolteacher from Exeter, remembers hiding under the dining room table during air raids on London in 1940, but being told by his parents to get back into bed because it was too damp downstairs. And others 
remember having reinforced steel-topped kitchen tables under which they sheltered. Now, to provide shelter outside of the home, something called Anderson shelters were built, and these were made out of galvanised corrugated steel. They were dug into place and buried with earth, and they were supplied to almost four million homes immediately prior to and during the war. And for indoor use, they used something called a Morrison shelter, and this was named after its designer, Herbert Morrison, and otherwise known as the table indoor shelter. And these were provided to more than half a million homes by the end of 1941. Now, to tell you a little bit about Herbert Morrison, the inventor, who was born in 1888, lived to post-World War II to 1965. He was made Baron Morrison of Lambeth, and he was a British Labour politician who acted as Home Secretary in the wartime coalition government, having previously held the post of Minister of Supply in 1940. So the person who was responsible for all the goods and things that were coming into the country. He was an experienced London councillor prior to his election to Parliament in 1935. And this experience placed him well for dealing with the capital during the Blitz and overseeing the design of his eponymous air raid shelter. Now, these shelters, these Morrison shelters, were made of wood and steel, and they came in assembly kits, which were meant to be bolted together in the home. And they measured about two metres long by about 1.2 metres wide, and they were about 0.75 metres high. And they're roughly the size of a large wardrobe put on its back. And they were built with a steel plate top wire mesh down the sides and they came with a mattress on which the occupants would lie during an air raid and when they were not in use they functioned as a normal piece of household furniture a dining room or kitchen table though some can remember young children tap dancing on the metal surface because of the sound that it made now there's a very important and interesting anecdote in Herbert Morrison's autobiography when he recalls the decision to invent this shelter, this indoor shelter. And while the Anderson shelter was very safe, it wasn't suitable for people who didn't have a garden and it was also prone to flooding. And this meant that they needed an indoor solution which needed to be found. And the task was given to a team of scientists and engineers. Now, Morrison was worried that it would take them all ages to argue over the design. So what he did was he threatened to lock them in a room until they produced a plan. And this was something that Winston Churchill was rumoured to have been absolutely delighted in. And the design of the Morrison shelter was received in less than 24 hours. Can you imagine that, Sam? 24 hours to produce this. Yeah, and I'm just trying to imagine what it would have been like cowering in those shelters in the darkness. I suppose being inside the inside indoors ones, you could have the lights on as long as you had your blackout curtains. But outside in the dark must have been terrifying. Oh, and to be a young child in the middle of the night, pulled from your bed and asked to hide in this must have been absolutely terrifying, crowding in there with your family. Now, to end with, we have a very exciting task connected to the idea of the Blitz. And this one is an absolute humdinger. And one of the reasons we know so much about World War II, and in fact about the 20th century in general, is because of oral history. In other words, historians have been able to interview people who lived at the time about their experiences. And here's what we'd like you to do. 
we'd like you to interview your grandparents about their memories of the 20th century. They're not old enough to have been alive during World War II. Don't worry about that. Interview them about the period they remember most. Now, firstly, you need a phone or some kind of smart device. Tell your grandparents what you're doing and arrange a time to speak to them. And you can either record if you're using Skype or Zoom, or you can just take notes. Now, secondly, the kinds of questions you should ask are very open-ended questions. How, why, when, where, what? So, for example, where did you live? What was life like at home? What do you remember about school? What did you do with your friends? What were your favourite games or toys? What was your favourite TV programme? What was your earliest memory? And depending on how old your grandparents are, do you remember the Second World War? What was rationing like? Or if they're slightly younger, do you remember the 1960s, the moon landing, the Falklands War, winning the World Cup, the Vietnam War? Now, thirdly, it's important to be relaxed and to keep it light and fun. And fourthly, write up a report about your interview. Title it with the name and age of the person you're interviewing and the area where they lived and importantly, your name. Now, this is not only a great way to learn about historical skills yourselves, but also it's a great way to keep in touch with elderly and vulnerable people like your grandparents at a time when they can't get out and loneliness is experienced much more widely. Sounds like a wonderful project to do, James. And also, you can listen to our podcast on loneliness we've done. That's a full-length one. So if you're interested in that, then that was fun to do. Otherwise, take care, everyone. And if you want to find out more about what we're doing, just please check out historiesoftheunexpected.com and come and make friends with us on social media. Bye. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.